If I were to ask you to describe your walk with Jesus with one word, with one word, would freedom come to mind? Would, would freedom be at the top of the list of how you describe your walk with the Lord Jesus Christ? I, I ask that because of something Jesus said. You know, they call it the red letters. If you have one of those Bibles where his words are in red, these are red letters. John 8, 31, he said, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth. Can you finish it? And the truth will set you free. Freedom. You say, uh, make it real for me. I want to ask a couple questions to help us kind of diagnose. Am I walking in freedom that Jesus came to bring? Here's one question. Are you trusting in Christ alone for your salvation? Or are you adding your own works to the mix to be saved? Right? Paul tells us in Ephesians 2, it is by grace, through faith, not the works of man, so that no one can boast. I was at Thumb Butte recently. I, I was having one of those weeks where I was feeling kind of heavy, kind of discouraged maybe you're there today maybe you've been there recently and I asked Carolyn to pray for me as I went up there for a hike and I was just asking myself questions like man why am I so discouraged right now why am I feeling so heavy like am I walking in the power of the Lord or am I trying this in my own power what's going on I got there and it was a Wednesday and you know, on Wednesdays, a lot of these trails are free, right? And I saw a guy at the machine trying to put his money in. <laughs> and while he's trying to put his money in, thankfully for his sake, it wouldn't go in right away. And I said, hey, buddy, it's Wednesday. It's free. He's like, really? I said, yeah, look at the sign right there. <laughs> and he saw the sign. He said, thank you. Now, after seeing that sign... We would all say that guy would be a fool if he continued to put his $5 in that envelope and shove it in there, right? But I think about that with the salvation that God offers us. We're told time and time again it is by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. But there's something in human nature that wants to stand there and keep trying to pay for it. Are you trusting in Christ alone or are you trying to add your works for salvation. That's one freedom question. What about for those of us who already know Jesus? Maybe we knew that. We came to Jesus by faith. We knew it was just by Him. But sometimes as you get going in the Christian life, you can fall back into that. You think, hey, I know I saved by grace through faith, but between now and the time I get to heaven, it's pretty much just me in my own power gritting it out, trying to do the best I can. Let me ask you a couple questions here. Are you living by faith in Christ today, Christian, or in the power of your own flesh? I know a lot of times we hear flesh and we go to the, the juicy sins, right? Like sexual immorality and drunkenness, and that's, that's part of the flesh. But there's another part of the flesh that, that sometimes looks pretty good to other people in the church world. There's a self-powered religion that masquerades as Christianity where we're trying to do this in our own power. 
It, it's a ritual. And I'll tell you what, you can, you can live out man-made religion in your own flesh. You cannot live out the life of Christ in your own flesh. So let me come back to that question. Are you living by faith in Christ or in the power of your own flesh? Here's another one. Would you describe your walk as self-powered futility? You know, you keep running into the same walls because you're trying it in your own power. Or would you describe your walk as spirit-powered freedom? Which one of those characterizes your walk this morning? I think about those last two questions, and I think about that hike up Thumb Butte that day. How many of you have hiked Thumb Butte? Big difference between the way up and the way down. <laughs> that way up, man, whew, steep, sweating like a hog. Got up there and got to the top and then started that walk down, and Boy, it's a whole different story. Not that there's not obstacles on the way down, but I thought about what's the difference. And on the way up, I was walking against the, the mountain, if you will, walking against the gravity of the mountain, right? That, that's one way. But on the way down, I was walking with the mountain, walking with the gravity of the mountain. And I had a whole new power because I was walking with that gravity. And I I thought about that, like that's how it is, the difference between trying to live the Christian life in the power of the flesh and living it in the power of the Spirit. One way, I am walking against God because He never intended me to try to live this in the power of my own flesh. The other way, I'm walking with Him by faith, depending on Him and walking in His power. Which way are you walking this morning? Would you describe your life as a life of freedom? I bring up freedom because this book of Galatians is all about freedom. My prayer for the whole church, everyone who hears this book between now and July, Lord willing, when we wrap up, is that everyone in this room will know a greater level of freedom in Jesus Christ by the end of our time in this book. Either you'll come to know him as the Savior who brings freedom, or if you already know Him, you'll start to walk more deeply and enjoy the freedom that He came to bring us, okay? Galatians has been called the, the Magna Carta of spiritual emancipation. If you're here and you say, man, I want to be spiritually set free, this is a good book for you. Martin Luther, the great reformer, loved this book. In fact, he, he loved it so much he called it his wife. I've never done that to a book of the Bible. Martin Luther did. He called it his Catherine. He loved this book, and it helped, helped fuel the, the Reformation as he spoke against those who were robbing people of the freedom that they should have been experiencing in Christ. Okay? In fact, when he wrote his preface to the New Testament, he recommended five books above all other books in the Bible. If you want to know who Jesus is and what he's done to set you free, you know what those five books were? The Gospel of John, Ephesians, Romans, 1 Peter, and this book right here, the, the book of Galatians. So I want to invite you to dive in with me and think about freedom. And we're going to start by talking about an unshakable foundation for salvation. You know what that is? 
It's the good news of Jesus Christ, the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's our foundation. Okay, so turn with me to Galatians chapter 1, starting at verse 1. As we think about that foundation, I'm going to start out this series by saying there is no other foundation. There is no other gospel. There is no other good news apart from Jesus Christ for our salvation. That's where Paul starts. That's where I'm going to start. And we're going to start by talking about the purity of God's word. Okay, verse 1, chapter 1. He says, Paul, an apostle. He is a sent one commissioned by God. And he's an apostle in that special sense that Matthew and John and those guys were. They all witnessed the risen Christ, right? When did Paul witness the risen Christ, you say? He wasn't walking with Matthew and John during those three years of Jesus' ministry. When did it happen for Paul? The Damascus Road, right? You know how important that is? It's so important that Luke mentioned it three times. Luke chapter 9, or Acts 9, Acts 22, Acts 26. Three times. Because an apostle had to be a witness of the risen Lord. Paul often talks about being an apostle in his letters, but here he, he goes out of his way to explain his credentials. He says, I'm not an apostle from men, nor through man. In other words, no, no men appointed me to this. No men qualified me for this or sent me on this mission. So who did? He said, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead and all the brothers who were with me to the churches of Galatia. Why does he go out of his way to say, hey, this isn't from men or through men. It's from Jesus because these churches of Galatia, and we'll talk more about who and where they were in the weeks to come, but they were churches that he had planted. He had preached that gospel of freedom in Jesus alone. But then others had come in. Those we know today as the Judaizers had said, uh-uh, uh-uh. Faith in Jesus alone is not enough. And they likely assaulted Paul's very apostleship. Maybe they said things like this. Hey, Paul's not a real apostle. He wasn't there with Matthew and John when Jesus was going around doing all his teaching and his miracles. Paul didn't know what he was talking about. If you're going to be a Christian, it's not enough to believe in Jesus. And we'll talk more about what they added. But for now, just, hey, Paul's not, not the real deal when it comes to being an apostle. Paul says, yes, I am. I witnessed the risen Christ, and, and he sent me. That's the basis of our confidence in God's word. That Paul did not receive that. John did not receive it. Matthew did not receive it from men or through men, but, but from God, from Jesus, through the Holy Spirit. That's what we know as inspiration, right? God breathed out his word through men, apostles like these men. That's different from what you and I experience today when we open God's Word and the Holy Spirit sheds light on what it means. You know what that's called in theological terms? Illumination. God illumines the Word that was revealed to the apostles and prophets in the past. If you come across anybody today that comes to you saying, I've got a, a brand new revelation from God, that, that differs from or is above what you see in the Bible, 
Run away. Run away. Be wary. I like what C.S. Lewis said. This is a good word of caution today. He said the best Bible teachers today, now that we have God's word, the best Bible teachers are reminders of God's truth. We're drawn to the new and the flashy, but I'm telling you, if you hear someone that's always coming up with something new that has not been heard in the 2,000 years of the church, be wary. Paul's saying, I'm one of those apostles. I witnessed the, the risen Lord. I got this from him. You can count on what I shared with you. It's the purity of his word, God's word through him. Now, I want to talk to you about the power of the gospel that Paul shared with those Galatians, the power of the good news of Jesus for them and for us. Verse 3, he says, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age. Right here, he gets to the heart of the gospel, right? Is that not the heart of the good news? Jesus gave himself for our sins. But I like where he went from there. He didn't say Jesus who gave himself for our sins so that we could go to heaven someday. Sometimes that's all we think about when we think about the good news, but there's a whole lot more to it than that. What's he say? He says, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age. What's the present evil age? Well, you know, Paul calls Satan the god of this age in Corinthians, right? It means we live in a time right now where Satan has been given limited control. And because of that, there's a battle going on. It, there's darkness around us. That's where we live right now. Okay, but he says Jesus gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age. You say, what's that look like? And our minds go to the time when we'll be either raptured out of here or we die and go to be with the Lord, right? But I agree with John Stott. As I read his writing about this passage, he said there is more than that future deliverance for the life of the believer. There is deliverance right now from the present evil age. You say, what does that mean? I still live here. I still feel the battle. I, I'm still tempted. I still wrestle. He said, what it means that we're delivered from the present evil age is that right now we can live the life of the age to come in the present age where we live right now. Now, that's a weighty statement. Let me say it again. We can live the life of the age to come in the present age in which we live right now. What's that mean? God's kingdom is operational through the Spirit, through Jesus, in the lives of believers, even in the middle of this dark age. What if we live like that was true the next time we're tempted? The next time God calls us to do something for him. What if we believe that? Yes, the spirit can live the life of the age to come through me right now. That victory, that power belongs to the believer. That's the power of the gospel. 
I want to talk about the propensity of people to look elsewhere. We're called sheep on purpose, right? Sheep tend to wander. And that's what was going on in this church of Galatia. A lot of Paul's letters, if you read them, he spent some time in the early chapters giving God thanks for the people, maybe praying for the people or commending the people for some way that they were obeying God. There's none of that in Galatians. I think of it like if you got a buddy that you always talk about sports with. You go to Buffalo Wild Wings, and usually when you sit down, he, hey, those Diamondbacks, they, they won three of the four games this week, and the, the Suns are doing good in the playoffs, but this time your buddy shows up, and none of that small talk. He's just like got a real straight look on his face, and we need to talk. What are you thinking? You're like, uh-oh. <laughs> What's going on here? Why, why is Paul skipping all those those niceties, is it because he doesn't love these people? No, not at all. It's because he is very concerned for their spiritual well-being. And so he gets right to it, as any loving shepherd would. Verse 6, he says, I'm astonished. I am shocked. I cannot believe that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Why are you revolting so quickly against the truth I gave you? Why are you turning to another gospel? He quickly clarifies that, verse 7, not that there is another one, not any other real one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. That's the Judaizers I was talking about. They're coming in there and distorting it. That word means to pervert or even reverse the good news. No, 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 no. Jesus is not enough. You got to do this and this and this. How do we know it's circumcision? Look ahead to chapter 5, verse 1. Paul tells him, he says, For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. They're quickly turning away from the truth of Christ alone to, no, 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 we got we to gotta add something. And I want to warn us to beware of the sheepish tendency to look elsewhere. To look elsewhere other than the truth of God's word. I think about this and I think about Pilgrim's Progress. How many of you read that work by John Bunyan? Some of you Trinity students right there, including Jaden, my boy. All right. Think about the beginning of that. There's a, a man named Christian, right? He has a burden on his back. It's making him miserable, and he wants to get rid of the burden. So he leaves the city of destruction and quickly meets a man named Evangelist. And he, he's talking to Evangelist, and Evangelist tells him where he needs to go to get rid of the burden. Remember, he says, go to the wicked gate. Go straight 
to the gate. And you'll be told what you must do. But along the way to the gate, do you remember who Christian met? Worldly wise man. Worldly wise man showed up. Told him, no, 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 no. Don't go to that gate. There's another way. You need to go to the house of Mr. Legality. Right? And listen to what John Bunyan writes. He says, now Christian was somewhat of two minds concerning what he should do. But he soon concluded that if what this congenial gentleman said was true, then his wisest course would be for him to take his advice. So with this in mind, he further spoke with Mr. Worldly Wise Man. Christian says, sir, which way is it that I should take to this honest man's house, Mr. Legality's house? Worldly Wise Man said, do you see a high hill that is just ahead of you? Yes, very clearly, Christian said. Worldly wise man said, you must go beyond that hill, and the first house you come to is that of Mr. Legality. How that played out for Christian, we'll bring up in another message in this series. But for now, I want to bring up one point. Many believe that when John Bunyan wrote that character in his work, Worldly Wise Man, he had a particular clergyman, a pastor in mind behind worldly wise man, which ought to give us pause, right? Leads nicely into the next point. I want to talk about the proving ground for the truth, okay? What's Paul say in verse 8? Even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. That's some strong language. Let him be accursed. And Paul says, even if it's me, even if an angel from heaven, in John Bunyan's case, even if it's a pastor, if it's contrary to what God says in his word, let that teacher be accursed. What is the test? It is not the position of the messenger. It's not the appearance of the messenger. It's not the power of the messenger or the persuasiveness of the messenger. It is whether his message lines up with the gospel of Jesus Christ or not. The gospel of Jesus Christ is the test. Why? Because of what Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 11. He's dealing with some other false teachers. Verse 13, he says, Such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, he says, for even Satan himself disguises himself as an angel of light. So it's no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. Even if it's Sunday morning at a pulpit, just like this one, if it differs from what you read in God's word, let that teacher be accursed, Paul says. An angel, think about it. How many cults and world religions that you can think of right now have 
started with what was purportedly an angelic vision. How many cults and world religions sound so good as they appeal to good deeds? Do this. Do that. In case you think Paul kind of just had an emotional slip that he felt bad about when he said that, he goes ahead and repeats himself in verse 9. This was no slip. He says, If we have said before, so now I say again, in case you missed it the first time, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. I want you to notice, Paul is speaking primarily of those who teach these ideas to other people. There are many people influenced and under the sway of these ideas. He's locked in on the teachers because they're promulgating these lies. But you say, why so strong, Paul? Let him be accursed. My goodness, why so strong? A couple reasons. Eternal destinies are at stake when we talk about the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's at the top of the list. Narrow is the way that leads to life. That's one reason. But I also think about Paul's passion and love for Jesus when he realized the grace of Jesus on the cross for him after all he had done. He never lost his zeal for the gift of Christ at the cross. And can you imagine having a conversation with Jesus when you think about the cross? Maybe you've read a medical description of what happens during a crucifixion. Maybe you've watched the passion of the Christ. Whatever your experience with what happened on the cross is, imagine a conversation with Jesus like this. With Jesus, I'm really thankful for, for what you did on the cross. But I've come to find out there, there are other ways. It turns out it was well intended, but it really wasn't necessary. Can you imagine that conversation? Or what about this one? Which is more to the heart of what's going on in Galatians. Jesus, I really appreciate what you did on the cross. And I know you said it is finished. I know you said that, but I've come to discover it wasn't. You thought it was, but you didn't go far enough. Your sacrifice was, was not enough. I, I, I have to do some things because you didn't finish the job. Can, can you imagine that conversation? No wonder Paul, who loved Jesus, of the cross and the resurrection so much said, let him be accursed. They teach something different. I want to talk about the pleasing question. Whose approval do I seek above all others? As poll-watching politicians aren't likely to make black and white statements like, let him be accursed, right? If you're a poll watcher, a people pleaser, you tend to speak more in the grays, at least until you're elected. But Paul's speaking straight truth. 
here. Who is Paul seeking the approval of? He tells us in verse 10, Am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. That was very true for Paul because you remember he was climbing the ranks as a Pharisee. You can bet there were a lot of people pleased with what he was doing in his community. And as soon as he renounced that and turned to Christ, guess what? The persecution began. I think about his desire to please God. And I want to say this. If we seek the approval of men above all, we will be swayed by other gospels. Every every day it will be a different wave that takes us this way or that way. If we wish to walk solidly in the freedom that Jesus came to offer, God's approval, God's approval has to be all to us. Whose approval matters the most to you? As we look ahead to the weeks to come, I want to show you kind of an overview of where we'll be going as we we talk about this freedom. These first few weeks, we're talking about the unshakable foundation, the gospel of Christ. Today, there's no other gospel. Next week, the true gospel is from God. Paul's authority is from God. That's the foundation, okay? So what's the logical application? If that is a solid foundation, the logical application is faith in Christ because the gospel is all about Christ. And that's where we get to that core message there. The Christian lives by faith in Christ. But what I love about this book is we can read that statement, live by faith in Christ, and it can stay kind of nebulous, right? Like, what does that mean? on a day-in, day-out basis. That's where I get to the practical explanation. What does faith in Christ look like? And we're going to walk through nine marks of people of faith in this book. People of faith start and finish by the Holy Spirit. People of faith are no longer under the guardian of the law. People of faith are children and heirs with the Spirit in our hearts. People of faith are known by God, and Christ is being formed in us. People of faith are children of promise. People of faith must guard their freedom and use it to serve one another. People of faith walk by the Spirit. People of faith bear one another's burdens. And people of faith are new creations who boast only in the cross. I'd encourage you to read through the book this week. It's only six chapters. I'd encourage you to read through it with those questions that we started with in your mind. I'll repeat them so you have them fresh. Am I trusting in Christ alone for my salvation? Or am I adding my own works in an effort to be saved? Am I living by faith in Christ or in the power of my own flesh? Would I describe my walk as self-powered futility or spirit-powered freedom? The day I was on Thumb Butte, Carolyn knew what I was wrestling with, and she was praying for me. While I was at the top of the mountain, she sent me a song that I needed to hear by a group called City of Light. The song is, Yet Not I, But Through Christ in Me. 
I just want to close by sharing some of the lyrics that filled me up. Say, the night is dark, but I am not forsaken. For by my side, the Savior, he will stay. I labor on in weakness and rejoicing. For in my need, his power is displayed. To this I hold, my shepherd will defend me. Through the deepest valley, he will lead. Oh, the night has been won, and I shall overcome. Yet not I, but through Christ in me. Lord, I thank you for that truth. That truth that freedom comes in Christ. And I pray that your spirit would work in our lives to draw us to that freedom. Maybe some need to come to the cross for the first time. Know that that death was for their sins. That resurrection was for their victory. You came for them. Draw them home. Maybe there's some of us long timers who started out in freedom, but somewhere along the way got wrapped up in adding other stuff, and we're just burdened because we're, we're trying it in our own power. Lord, help us come back to Jesus. Let, let the things we do not be human-powered efforts to gain your favor, but acts of gratitude by your Spirit and by the risen Lord that, that flow out of us because we know we are free. It is finished. It is paid in full. And we are new creations. May you use our weeks in this book to that end. In Jesus' name, amen.